and welcome to Formula for Success in association with F1 Manager 2023. I'm Eddie Jordan, and today I'm joined by a true legend of the sport, a driver, an absolute gentleman, an unbelievable friend of mine and the Jordan family, Jean Alessi. Hello, everyone. Hello. Oh, by the way, we've yeah. got DC here as well, but yeah, of I'm not sure. Are you part of this program or yeah, not? Yeah, and where's my introduction? Now, listen, I understand oh, you give Jean a big intro, but, you know... Jean is one of my... He's the history behind Jordan. Go on. Well, I think he made Jordan famous. All your success on track in the lower formulas helped catapult them toward Formula One. So did he ever give you a little bit of the, uh, the Irish cash he made? A bit, a bit the opposite. <laughs> but... <laughs> I'm in the receiving are, business, not the giving business. We are friends because the money has never been in between us. Well, let's, let's take it way back, okay, to I want to know uh, how you first met this man. And I struggle to understand what he's saying now. And I'm Scottish, so very similar to the Irish. How the hell did you understand what he was saying to you? We were in Macau and uh, I had a, a good race, but I lost a wheel on the last lap and I was so upset I finished on three wheels. I finished 11. Okay. But the wheel, like you hit something or the wheel not? No, no, the, no, the, um, the tire explodes, the rear. But I, I finished the complete lap with three wheels. And uh, Eddie saw that and I said, okay, maybe this guy is interesting for me. I go to speak with my brother. He went to see my brother and my brother said, I spoke with Eddie Jordan, why we don't go to Eddie next year? We invited in uh, London for, to talk about the next season. And so we arrived there. He started to talk, and I said to, to my brother, I said, Rudy, they're not English. I, I don't understand what he's saying. You know, it's... <laughs> <laughs> I, will, I will be lost. Uh, you know, the first time in my life I have to leave uh, my house and to live in England, and uh, I had such a fantastic time. So you, before that, you were with your Marlboro-sponsored driver. And then when you joined Jordan, you became a camel driver. Is that right? Is that how the sequence... Yeah, yeah. that's uh, the, the story. Basically, uh, at the time, I was not in a target of what Marlboro wants. And uh, I've been pushed out. And they did... Uh, they sacked him. They sacked No. <laughs> they sacked him. A little bit. But don't care, you know, because uh, that is a life of... Uh, and that is the reason why you, me... I've been successful in our life. I was very upset inside of, uh, of me, but I had the chance to meet uh, Eddie and uh, his family. Well, that's the key thing, actually, because you weren't only moving to England to drive for a team owned by an Irishman that you struggled to understand, but you moved in with the family. I you were living with Marie, his wife, and, and the all kids. the kids. And you know, the kids, uh, they, they like to talk. And in the morning, when I was at the breakfast, and all these kids talking to me, I was really lost. But uh, uh, such a good memories, you know. For him to leave Avignon, I was really quite brutal with you, Jean, wasn't I? I mean, I said to you, look, you've crashed all these fucking cars, and look at the mess you've caused. You're coming to the factory to see what these guys of the mechanics are doing to repair your car that you've destroyed. You don't care. Yeah, it, it's not exactly the way you explain it. You, you forgot a lot of things, sir. <laughs> it's an I age. have this constant <laughs> okay. problem. I, on this podcast, we very often talk about between how he remembers things in terms of his fantasy and the reality. So that's why you're here, Jean, <laughs> yeah. to give us the reality. Because, you know, you, you win the championship. You, you deliver his championship, which then 
gets you the opportunity to go to Formula One. Now, was he ever your manager or was he just your boss, your team I, boss? I, 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 he was everything. <laughs> <laughs> Anything that was money, but I was there. Not by invitation. It was everything, you know. We understand. So, uh, the, yeah. so uh, no, Eddie um, makes uh, Jean Lisi driver because uh, really uh, when I joined you, I, I, I was n- nobody and I was, uh, uh, I had everything to prove and you give me this opportunity not to drive uh, the best car, but also to show how much it's important to, uh, to be present to take the opportunity because I took it and uh, that was uh, great. In the beginning, I had this frustration because he went to the first race at Silverstone and he destroyed the car again. And I'm saying, Jesus, what have I let myself in for? This French guy is driving me crazy. But then we fixed the car. We went to Poe, and that is an amazing race. Anyone who goes to Poe in Formula 3000 and wins, that is classic race. A better race possibly than Monaco in terms of how, how difficult and technically it's a much more difficult track. So he won there and then went to Le Mans. He won there, won in Birmingham. And um, so we won the championship. But there was a lot of things that were happening. I, I, I sent him to Japan who to make some more money. Who was your teammate at that time? Who, who was your teammate at that time? Martin Donnelly. Yeah. Oh, okay. So good, a very good driver as well. Driver who made it to Formula One. But sorry, sorry to interrupt, Eddie. You sent him to Japan. I sent him, what? Branzac. He won Branzac. Yeah, he won because he overtook me on the yellow flag. Well, you sound <laughs> Not like... Not you remember. You're beginning to sound like David. It's on YouTube. He it's won on every YouTube. race that he did. He won every race except for some problem, like a wheel falling off or he crashed into Schumacher. He just doesn't understand that he was lucky to win 13. Continue your story. Anyway, Jean, honestly, I have to say, at that stage, you cannot believe what was going on at the time. I was selling him to a drive in Japan. I had him in Formula 3000. Then when Michele Alboreto had the problem, you need to talk about that because that was probably the breakthrough, wasn't it? That was an unbelievable weekend where Michele Alboreto, luckily enough, was in a Tyrrell, which was camel-sponsored. I spoke to W. Duncan Lee, who was in Siberia doing uh, the camel trophy. trophy. And I said, listen, you've got to put this guy in the car. He said, no, 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 no. Ken Tyrrell won't have him anywhere near the car. He won't qualify. And Jonathan Palmer will kill him. That's what he said. You remember? And Ken, I said, Ken, that's a bit cheeky. I'll have, I'll sell my house. You sell your house. And I'll bet you whatever we make on the house that that's untrue. That Jean will qualify your man. And he said, you're being so stupid. So that was Ken, you know, he was like that. But Ken was... Tough as well, wasn't he? He was a tough guy. However, we had a very strong case, and eventually I won because I made W. Duncan Lee, but actually Camel France were very helpful. Camel France said, we want Sean in the car. They put him in the car, qualified eighth, finished fourth, and blew the pants from Jonathan, who's a lovely guy. Your first Grand Prix, you finished fourth? Yeah. (laughs) That's impressive, no? But, you know, know, I just need to just tell you for this, for that weekend, tell you how crazy we were. I had Martin Donnelly was in the Lotus because Derek Warwick had had a, a karting accident. So I, had, I was able to sell to Lotus Martin Donnelly and then Johnny Herbert, who was also one of our family, had a problem with the Benetton and I put a Manuel Piro because he had just done Macau with us. So I had three guys that I'm looking after and I'm completely confused in Paul Ricard where he's now the new boss. And um, 
God, that was an, one of the most incredible weekends that I ever remember. Yeah. What do you remember of that race? I remember, you know, the freedom I had to go into the paddock and to look inside of the, the box, uh, Ayrton Senna, all the top drivers of the, of the time, Nigel Mansell, Nelson Piquet. Nobody knew me, you know. And after the race, of course, finishing fourth, then uh, the press start to make a noise. I was a bit in, embarrassed with Ken Tyrell because the way he talked to him, I mean, Ken uh, in France is like God, you know, he, he had uh, Francois Sever, he had a... Uh, he, he wrote the history. Um, yeah. uh, Mr. Tyrell was Mr. Tyrell. And the way he talked to him, you know, it was embarrassing with Nora, the Madame, Madame Tyrell. I mean, all, always together. And Bob. And Bob. No, but Bob was not uh, present, really. It was Nora and, and Ken. But... Uh, but great, great. I, I remember, you know... What he did by finishing fourth, from having any amount of money he wanted to make sure that he wouldn't finish in front of Jonathan, to suddenly, Eddie, you cannot uh, have him back. He's mine in Formula One. And I said, no, you can have him back when he wins the championship. So there was a bit of conflict there. Naturally, he wanted to go to Formula One. I wanted him in the team. I needed to make some money. And I make no money by selling him off like that. And Ken Tyrell was tight as could be, so he wasn't going to pay me. Anyway, he finished, won the championship with one race to go, and then I allowed you to go. Was it Japan? You, was the race that you did? Yeah. Uh, the second race of your career with Tyrrell? No, the, uh, because uh, the championship was quite good because I, I was able to make one weekend the 3000, one weekend the F1. But I missed Spa. I didn't go to Spa with... Uh, uh, was um, Johnny Herbert who took my, my, my seat. Then I won the championship one race earlier, and I, uh, I quit Eddie. <laughs> Finally. Well, you say that. You say Cash you... coming from every direction. It was fantastic. But hold on. Uh, you say you quit Eddie, but uh, there's a situation that happened a couple of years later, which to me sounds like Eddie must have been involved because you found yourself in a situation where you had a contract with Williams, a contract with Ferrari. Now, only this man can be behind craziness of you having two contracts with two Formula One teams. You know, I don't like uh, to speak about people who are not uh, with us anymore, but we made everything properly. But Frank was not so fair. I had a lockup. I had... We were in a big garage. That's what it was. You cannot believe where this Formula team was coming from. So Frank used to have his driver drive around the back, wait for me at 7 o'clock in the evening till everyone was gone quiet or stuff like that, and talk to me about the possibility of getting Jean. I'm ringing Jean. Jean says, so I agree a contract, except you conclude the contract. But Frank came to me with how do I do it and what do I do it and what does he want to get paid. We signed a contract with Frank. Proper one. For Formula One. Yeah, for Formula One, but a proper contract. I, oh, sure. And I was pleased about that because, you know, when Ferrari came to me and said, uh, we're interesting, I said, I'm sorry, I cannot. And I talked to uh, Eddie and said, Jean, you have a contract with uh, Frank and uh, be happy. And he said, no, of course. But, you know, I have to say no to Ferrari. He said, okay. Yeah, but he's from Sicily, remember? He's half Italian. And oh. he... He cried, he cried. So what did I do? I spent one full day of the British Grand Prix in a hotel room yet again with Cesare Fiorio trying to convince him as to how we would get him out of the Williams contract and into the Ferrari. Yes. True? No, Is that's that true? true. That's true. But then I, I went to uh, Frank um, Motorhome and I said, Frank, I'm not just talking. 
that's a proposition. Yeah. Read everything. And he said, okay, I don't care. You have a contract with me up to September. And said, Frank, that was the worst case. Yeah. But, but because of the, the, sign, the contract we signed was you should make the announcement in France. And now uh, we are two weeks um, ahead. You didn't do it. That means I have to wait uh, uh, up to September to know your decision. And no. And they say, I don't care, you have a contract. So I signed a contract with Ferrari. But Ferrari knew. Huh? Okay. Then yeah, they but hang on a second. Before we go too much further, what you have to remember is that Frank got handsomely paid by... Ferrari were very correct. They paid him a chunk of money and they, gave him, they gave him Mansell's car. Yeah, they gave him the Ferrari car that it was in prime condition for his museum. And I, I rang up Frank and I said, Frank, I'm sure uh, it's, it's past your mind, but, uh, you know, I'm here. You need to sort of square me away. And he said, uh, I don't understand to square you away. What does that mean? And he said, <laughs> where is my cut? <laughs> <laughs> That's his, yeah. Cheeky. But it wasn't cheeky. I created the whole thing. I made this, monst this monster here you're looking at. Uh, <laughs> so you almost went to Williams. You end up at Ferrari and... We had that very emotional victory for you in Montreal. I think it was your birthday on the, yeah. on the day. But tell us about the emotion of winning in a Ferrari. The car was not, uh, reliability was not really the best of a Ferrari. So yeah, the, the reliability was shit. Exactly. So we, we had a lot of um, retirement. And um, in Montreal, when I won the race, you know, I finished 17 times second. Uh, I don't know how many times third. So I really enjoyed this race as a world ch uh, championship. I really took it as a world championship. And the emotion? Uh, because Montreal is a bit like uh, Monza. It's a Ferrari track. Because Gilles Villeneuve, first victory. For them, you know, uh, at the time they have the link of the car number 27 and the Ferrari. So there is a lot of Ferrari fans in Montreal. When I took the lead, I took it because Michael came uh, to the box. He had a problem with the uh, shifting, but I didn't know it. You know how it is. All the corners are blind, so you don't really... Um, Michael was five or six seconds ahead, so I didn't see him. But suddenly I see the, the crown uh, jumping and the flags. So I understood, you know, but I was not sure. But when I passed to, uh, for, for the pit lane, I see P1, I, I cry. But I had uh, eight or, or ten laps to do again, you know. And, you know, with the tears in the uh, eyes, it's not comfortable to drive. So I had to, uh, you know, get back on the concentration and uh, good time. Do you remember who finished second and third on that day? Yes. Yeah. <laughs> uh, Rubens. Yes. And um, Eddie? Yeah, correct. It was two Jordans on the podium. Yeah. So you're crying because it's your first Grand Prix victory. He's crying because he's thinking about the no, prize money. I'm thinking about the credit of the glory because you may not think this, but I also was crying for him because I felt that I and the Jordan family and the Alessi family, we had put so much of real pain uh, and adversity uh, into Love. those early years. So I was overjoyed. Was I ungrateful that we didn't win it? No, we were never going to win that race. You won it, and we were second and third. And I'm looking up at the podium, and I said, 
this must be the first time ever any team has had one, two, three, because I always felt that you, were, you had Jordan in your, in your blood and Jordan in your heart. So that's the way I felt about it. I had tears in my eyes as well because I was racing for Williams. I you qualified were... third. On the first lap, you remember it was slightly wet. Under the, under the bridge, I spun into the gravel. Now, what was really bad about that, my uh, late grandfather and grandmother, they never traveled, but they, they never flew but they wa always wanted to go to Montreal because they had a cousin that lived in Montreal. So I brought my grandparents to Montreal, <laughs> to the Grand Prix. I had them in the uh, grandstand opposite the start-finish. The race starts. I, I never came round again. They never, <laughs> they, they never saw me do one lap of racing at a Grand Prix, but they had a wonderful time and met with their cousin there. But and you do know he would have won that race. I would have won that you race. You would have won, right? But don't you agree? I would have won, no. He, he won every race. If he, he won every race. No, uh, I mean, uh, DC was don't, very competitive. Another thing that made me really, really proud, not alone was there, you brought very proud moments to me, was the race... Uh, in Paul Ricard, where you finished fourth. But I went to Phoenix because I felt I was part of that deal to put the deal together with Tyrrell. And you were on the front row of the grid in the Tyrrell and you led the great Ayrton Senna for, what, half the distance or quarter yeah, of the distance? Yeah, that was fantastic. If anyone listening to the podcast has never seen this footage, it's on YouTube. It's you can see Jean and uh, Ayrton going so wheel to wheel. I was P5 on the, on the grid. I was not in on uh, you know the front row. No, I was P five, and then I had a good start. And you know, slowly I was passing the car, and then I said, "No, oh my God, I'm going to lead the race." And then uh, I lead the 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 race, and then in my mind immediately I said, "I hope my friends in Avignon are watching the TV," you know, <laughs> because uh, I was so proud about this start. Then one lap, two laps, three laps, and and then I pull away. But uh, slowly, I, I saw red point coming back, and it was Ayrton. My two drivers and Jean shared the podium on another occasion. Spa. Where you saved me and got me that race by... You, make, by you make it happen. Yes. You make it happen, because you tried to kill Michael Schumacher. You're, you're welcome. You're welcome <laughs> both. So you so, were on the podium there as well? Yes, he ah. But you know, I have to say something, because maybe people never understood the situation. When Michael hit you, okay, this place, the river, because you can't see the rivers on TV. Yeah. It's the worst place in Spa. It's in this place. And when he slowed down, he slowed down on the line to make him uh, pass. And honestly, uh, Michael made a big mistake. So it was not in purpose, obviously, because if you do something like he did, you're a killer. Yeah. And really, uh, I... I feel sorry for you because uh, the, the way, you know, everything... I didn't. No, people, when I came here yeah, yeah. after, people had the banner saying, killer, coal fired, and yeah. of course I never did it deliberately, it was just... Uh, and the, I think you were one lap down, actually, yeah, when it happened, so... Yeah, so you, you, you make it in, in, uh, properly, but the river and the spray didn't make you in a good position. But I know that, you know, in F1, many times... Uh, you look really um, not the driver you are, and uh, you look really stupid like it happened to me when I finished my fuel in uh, Australia. Ah, you ran out of fuel on the I car. ran out of the fuel. Yeah. But, and people said to me, but are you stupid? Then, no, I'm not stupid. I know a car without fuel, you cannot <laughs> go, you know. But the problem is uh, my pit wall 
uh, was at, at the breaking. And because we start with uh, the fuel and then we had to stop, so uh, half distance, uh, my car was faster and I have to shift seven gears just before the braking and then shifting again, you know? So I was really concentrated on the lead and I, I never saw the pit board. Why the did radio, they call you? No, they called me like, uh, you have no idea, but the radio was not, the jack was not in. Ah, I, I had no radio, zero. And suddenly, because uh, Mika came in, I understood, you know, and uh, I look stupid. But circumstances, but I'm not. yeah, without the radio. Formula for Success is brought to you in association with F1 Manager 2023, giving you unparalleled control of your chosen F1 team and a brand new mode that allows you to rewrite the season on your terms. Are we finished with motor racing? Can I talk about some... Lovely family little moments. You can talk about whatever you want, Eddie. It's uh, because, your podcast. You just invite um, me along to sit here with well, you. Well, you're not even in this one. Because when he came to uh, live with us, um, he formed a great bond with the family. With the result, my second daughter, Mickey, went to live in Avignon with you, went to Silverterre, and you looked after her like incredible and went to university. It's normal. It's normal. But there was that, and then we became friendly with his brother. But something else that you and I both love, and that is uh, cycling. I decided I really desperately want to do Mont Ventoux, which is one of the greatest climbs uh, of the Tour de France. It is a ball breaker, ladies and gentlemen. Don't do it unless you're really well able for it. Anyway, it nearly killed me, wiped me out. It took me three hours in a bath to defrost. I was absolutely frozen. The descent is so, so cold. Anyway, we went to pay the bill in the hotel close to Avignon, and we couldn't, we couldn't understand why. And it has been, they knew, the Alessi family knew that Marie and I were there and they had driven up to the hotel and paid the bill. So that is something kind of things that the relationship. Yeah, very nice. It was a, a fantastic gesture. Would you do that? Would you pay his hotel bill? Uh, probably not. Probably not. <laughs> <laughs> That's the truth. Listen, the second one is, we talk about Mickey, because he then had a manager called Mario Miyakawa. And um, Mickey wanted to perfect her Italian, and she went to work for Philip Morris with uh, Agnelli, young Andrea, and with uh, Arriva Benny, Maurizio, and so she worked there. But when Andrea Agnelli went to Juventus to be the president there, and he asked Mickey to come and join her, and part of her job was looking after a guy called Alessandro Del Piero. And what an amazing guy. He's one of the greatest footballers that has been in Italy, a legend of the sport, and uh, a great commentator now. And I always consider you and him to be very similar, because you're very sympathetic, and you have a very good heart and Jean I have to tell you that I've had a massive relationship and friendship in my heart for you for a very long time same for me you know at this point you don't have to say something nice to Eddie <laughs> if, but preferably, if preferably if, not because if you're feeling weak then you can but honestly <laughs> I fight it <laughs> no but you know how it is I mean uh, sometime in, in in your life um you you met the people and uh, you never forget, you know. And Eddie, it's uh, like that. You know, I, I it's a part of um, uh, when we say family. You know, my 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 parents are from Sicily. Um, I grew up with uh, the grandparents, the the uncle, the the nephew. Everybody was at home. And um, when I left and I, I went to England and 
I, I cannot believe what I what I found. You know, I was embarrassed because I was not uh, not good enough to understand the language, the Irish language accent or whatever. <laughs> but I enjoyed so much. You learned how to say fuck in in <laughs> Irish. Is that right, John? <laughs> he's not going to say it. He's too he's too well mannered. He's, he's, he's too much a gentleman. I think it would be good for our listeners just to wrap up your, your Formula One career before we move it on to, you know, where you are today and, and your son is racing and, and to talk about that. But you, did it feel a little bit like your career had come full circle when you were racing for Jordan in F1? Or was, was this, you, you had no other choice, so you had to no, put up with it? No, it's, it was really by, because uh, I had an argument with Prost and uh, I decided to, to quit. And uh, uh, and Eddie, at the same time, we, we have honestly, we have the planet together. Huh? Really? <laughs> <laughs> but can you give me the, the mum number of your bank account, then, please? And <laughs> we'll see how together but we are. He had at the time uh, an argument with his driver, and he was without uh, driver, and I was without without drive. So he called me, and they said, "What about?" But I'm honest with you, I signed already. Uh, physical, huh? and um, if because we have the Honda engine, if Honda wants to put uh, Sato, yeah. you will have no drive for next year. So if you accept, it's just for eight races. And they said, "Okay, Eddie," and I finished very well. Hallelujah! It's great. You had good results in those eight races. Oh, oh yeah, I can't remember. We had some good results, uh, but uh... Spa. In Spa, I think we finished fourth. Yeah, but Spa was always a special for you and us. I remember we won, you won the Formula 3000 Championship at Spa yeah. as a result of that. Great uh, circuit, isn't it? Yeah, uh, fantastic. Uh, if you put our listeners in the cockpit before Eddie reminisces of how much success you had there, the, the sensation when you drive this track is, yeah. is like no other. It's fantastic, but you well, remember how was this corner. Now it's not a corner anymore. Or rouge. It's a rouge. Yeah. Now... I'm sorry to say that, but it's a, a killer corner. Yeah. He kill kids, and that I really against that. They made uh, some change from his bullshit because they didn't slow down the cars. They make it even easier. The problem is uh, we have no visibility. So when you go there, whatever is happening on the front, you have no chance to avoid it. Yeah, visibility is, is challenging. They're looking at the sky. Because no, but you look, you look at the, the sky, but the speed is already over 300. And if the car on the front of you, even the, the, the marshal, they have no margin to warn you. Because when it happened, it happened like that. And the car is going back to, to the middle of the road. They should make it as we had before, before it was a corner. Well... Um... Nevertheless, and I understand your point, and I probably take on board that it it is not just for Jordan, but for you guys. Uh, DC helped us out there, but it's probably one of the greatest, most technical uh, tracks on the calendar. And honestly, there was a fear that we were going to lose it when Bernie had to take it over. Uh, but I think it would be an absolute travesty if we were to lose Spa. It's one of the all-time great tracks for racing drivers because they feel good with all of these corners. Yeah, it's, a, it's an incredible challenge, but it's obviously tragic that in the last few years we've lost some young drivers. Motor racing is and will always be uh, dangerous, and that's part of uh, the risk we accept. I remember Hockenheim in the wet, the old circuit, where I'm in the rain, I can't see in practice, and I lift, 
And then I think, but if I lift, then somebody maybe hits yeah, me, so I go don't. flat. So in the end, you keep going, but you really, it's a big discussion in your own head. Did you ever have a situation like that in Formula One? Of course. Otherwise, we will be not there to, uh, to talk about, because uh, actually it's a, uh, it's a part of uh, being a, a, a Formula One driver to be scared and to not uh, play uh, with a car like uh, with a gun. You cannot play. You, you, you have to enjoy, you have to control. The visibility, when you don't have it anymore, is not controlling. Yeah. Was it easy for you at the end of your career to say, okay, the opportunities, I'm happy with the opportunities I had. Okay, I would have wanted more victories, but this is what life gave you in terms of the car and the reliability. Or were you, were you somehow frustrated that you, you never got the car and the consistency of that car to deliver the big result? I've never been frustrated, but I enjoy so much my racing life. When I have to say it's over, I felt lonely because I said, I don't want to stop, you know, I want to continue. But in the meantime, you don't want to make your name or your image uh, bad because you don't uh, you're not good enough to uh, to be competitive anymore because of the age you don't drive maybe the the, the car you should uh, you had at the beginning of your career so you you cannot make a good job so it's better to stop but i never been if if i take now the uh, fernando alonso as an example age is not really a matter in our job actually it's um, it's a benefit but the car is so important when you understand you have no the chance to drive the good car is better to stop i'm going to just interject here because we were all talking about racing in the past and years ago but both of you um and i consider myself extremely lucky having had two sons and neither of them they didn't even learn to drive till they were almost 30 which was an absolute miracle and blessing because it saved me a load of money and um, both of you have chipped in lots and lots of money for you with Dayton and you with Giuliano. Where do you draw the line of supporting your son financially and, and, and do you see it through rose-tinted glasses or do you feel that they're going to be Grand Prix drivers? Because being, there's very few, you know, we, we talk about the Rosbergs, the father and the son were world champions in the Damon Hills, but truthfully, it's so difficult. There's so many young drivers coming through. Where did you stop spending the money? We don't make the stupid kids. They know also how to um, say uh, it's enough, you know. Why? Because you have to support the passion of your sure. your kids, like we all do for different uh, activities. You support them. Being a Formula uh, um, uh, racing driver now, it costs. A lot. School costs a lot, but. Um, if I take the case of Giuliano, he understood that one stage he said, okay, I will not have a chance to go in F1. Forget it. Let's try another thing. I want to make um, my life as a racing car driver, but I understand F1 is not possible because of you can, exp you can have thousands of excuses, but it, it didn't happen. So he said... Uh, I want to concentrate myself to be a racing car driver and there is opportunities. He's in Japan and I'm very happy. And he's yeah. having success in Japan. He has success, he has support, he has a, also a very good family. And a financial career? 
the financial we are talking about a small line but it uh, is beginning but is in in a Good. Toyota family with storms everything is fantastic and Dayton uh, well I'm at the beginning of the curve with my son who's going to be 15 in November he wants to of course be a formula 1 driver like all of the young drivers dream and I have to help and support him to create the right route in to see if he, the lap time is there, to see if the talent is there. And like you, I'm sure you said to Giuliano, you cannot drive the car for him. You can advise, you can introduce, but he has to drive the car. He has to drive the qualifying lap and he has to drive a clean race. And that's exactly what I say to, to Dayton. And he's going to be very tall. He's already taller than me. His mother is tall. So height may end up being the, a, a big issue for him. But at the moment, he's training. He's got a little six-pack. Um, I think he's kind of cut from the James Hunt mold of has racing. Has he found he has girls yet? Yeah. A few different girlfriends, I he, noticed. He has girlfriends? Well, I, he says they are friends that are girls, but he comes around to the apartment and he goes off into the room to study. Okay. And uh, and then he comes out later. And, but he goes to Just the like you used to do. And, oh, I wish. Growing up in a village in Scotland, <laughs> if I wanted a girlfriend, I had to knock oh, on my, my cousin's door. Called the police. You know? So <laughs> anyway, I actually didn't... I couldn't really get a girlfriend until I was a Formula One driver. Then sudden, for some reason, it was easier to get a girlfriend. But you look a lot better now than you did then. You look like as if you were something out of the zombies. You know what I mean? You had that... Chisel, you've done a lot of microsurgery on that chin of yours. No, 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 not at all, not at all. No, don't talk about that. Huh? Don't talk about surgery. <laughs> We're not going to hurt each other. Here. <laughs> let's, let's bring it from our kids. Let's bring it to Jean's endeavours now. Now, Jean, uh, Paul Ricard, a famous Grand Prix track from before. I remember going as a young driver in uh, 1990. You would have been in the Tyrrell, I think, yeah, yeah. 1990, and I was standing watching you drive. I was in Opel Lotus. And then we had the Grand Prix there for a few years, uh, in the last few years. But you're running the circuit now. So what, what, what does that mean on a day-to-day -day basis? And is there any chance to have a Grand Prix back there again? Or is it going to be really difficult financially and politically? So it's not a French guy to say to an English guy how French people are strange. <laughs> okay. <laughs> <laughs> okay, but you are in a union flag, huh? Yes. We're in, well, he, he's not. No, I'm not Don't in get him started oh, about sorry, the union flag. <laughs> sorry for my culture. So an Irishman <laughs> and a Scotsman. I am proudly British, and he's Eddie Jordan. And he's Sicilian. <laughs> so, so next year we have uh, the Olympic. So impossible to talk about motorsport in France at the moment. But President uh, Macron said to uh, the mayor of Nice... If uh, you show me for France, it's, um, it's good to have F1, I will support it. So at the moment, they are working on it. Why working on it? Because at the beginning, they thought to make it maybe in, uh, in Nice. Uh, street circuit. Street circuit. But, uh, but uh, they found out it's complicated. Plus, there is Monaco next door. So it's not fair as well for F1 to do that, and they will not do it. They have Paul Ricard, that's it, because Manicourt, too much work to do. Uh, Le Mans, they are uh, concentrated on 24 hours of Le Mans, so we are prepared and very happy to welcome again F1, because uh, we had uh, the contract for five years already. 
we are doing for F1 all the testing for the, uh, the um, Pirelli tires, uh, for the, the wet tires, because we have a system for um, um, wetting, the track. wetting the track. Anyway, all the facilities, the airport, everything is there. Plus, uh, I don't want to say that because it's me, but I'm the president of the circuit. And all the mistakes have been done in the past, like uh, uh, not be fair with um, the landing fee at the airport, uh, the fee of the hotels to, to high, I am um, capable to say that is the price of the rooms, that is the price for the landing fee, and the, for, for the um, Formula One that is F1 with the promoters. Well, for me, I used to always stay in Bandol, uh, Le Pied and Low, and I have to say it's one of the great fun circuits. I adored it. I promise you I will go back with a heartbeat if we can get a Grand Prix back in the Castellet. And um, so I, I wish you every success with that, yeah. Jean, and uh, what a great joy. I'm just curious, modern Formula One, we talk about it a lot. Eddie, I do defer to his experience of having been in the Piranha Club, you know, owning a team and dealing with Bernie back in the day. But when you come as an F1 ambassador, when you come and, and do the, what you do at Grand Prix, who do you feel you, re, you can relate to as, as, as a current driver? You've obviously had a big association with Ferrari, so I assume that's a team that's very much part of your heart. But when you look at the drivers, who do you go... Hey, that, that fighting spirit or that driving style is something that I see in the way I was driving. I cannot say Max Verstappen because he's uh, always alone. Uh, he's not fighting with other, other drivers. But Fernando, honestly, I mean, when you watch a Grand Prix now, uh, you're just uh, looking for him because... Start is dynamite. You, the race is dynamite. You know, the, 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 his uh, um, aggressivity is coming out of the uh, uh, TV. You see it. He's aggressive. He, he doesn't give up. And of course, you know, then you have all the new and young generation. But him, and now also, um, I, uh, I appreciate a lot more uh, Lewis because Lewis is, is not driving the best car, but he shows how much he, he wants to be back on the, on the top. So these two drivers, I love him. And for him to sign another two years with Mercedes, is that good for him? Of course. I will be more happy if he was signing for Ferrari. <laughs> <laughs> Apparently they spoke, but uh, I never truly believed that he would leave Mercedes. He's been part of that family for so long. I still can't believe that Michael left Ferrari with all that success, retired, and came back with Mercedes. It, it, it seems, and I think De Montezemolo, someone that uh, you both know very well, summed it up well when he said he does not recognize Michael in, in as much that he, he felt such a connection with him as a Ferrari driver that he could not recognize him as a Mercedes driver. Yeah, that, that, this shows surprise everybody. But uh, in, in Lewis' case, if I can comment it, if he win again, let's say next year, a, a world title, that will change nothing for him. But if you win a, a world title with Ferrari, uh, that will change his life anyway. Yeah, but Sean, we won't go into the Ferrari situation. I said last time that they are shambolic. I mean, what they are doing in the team, 
whether the tires in the pits or the they just have not got the same controls as much as we adore them, love them, and want them to be successful. Jean, it's going back years. We talk. We won't want to talk about what's going on with Massa, but remember, they left. They let him go out of the pits all those years ago, 15 years ago, with the fuel hose still connected. I mean, Ferrari are the team that everyone wants to win, but they keep shooting themselves in the foot. Why is that? You know, it's, uh, we cannot say it's a Latin uh, uh, ambience, but Jean Todd, when he arrived to the team, he was not popular uh, with anyone, but he was fair and he knew what to do and how to operate it. He took five years and they start to win properly, you know. Ferrari at the moment are changing so many things all the time. And um, especially now because of this uh, gardening situation with the contact, it will take time for them. Did you ever consider a role within a team like Ferrari? Did you ever have conversations about that? Or you're, you're happy to be you know, doing the presidency of the, the Ricard circuit? Or is the passion still there to want to be involved in a team? <laughs> no, apart the marketing side, I cannot really have a, a job there because it's not my job. Um, you, maybe, you know, to talk to the driver, sometimes it's also helpful because we have seen uh, recently when the things doesn't go well, the drivers, they, they start to be also a problem, you know? So you need to have a kind of a, a guide inside. But uh, in my situation at the moment, it's uh, impossible to... Uh, to accept anything, uh, I have a very good position with Paul Ricard and uh, with F1, so many friends, and um, I'm 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 happy like that. Just to, just to add to the point that you made about Jean Todd, and I think <clears throat> we're all pretty much agreed that you know they called him Napoleon for very many reasons, uh, and that's the way he he ran the team. But let us give some credit uh, to Rory Barn, to Pat Simmons, to to. Of course. You know, the, he brought a team with him yeah. that understood a British way of do, racing. And that's what I think they're missing at the moment. They need to think more like John Barnard. Do you remember when he built the car in England and people were appalled that Ferrari were building their car in the UK? But, you know, it was successful. Jean, they have to think like that. Yeah, but it is what I said. He uh, was the man who, who brought everyone. He brought Rose, Rory... Uh, uh, the, the, I don't remember the, the chief mechanics. I mean, the, Nigel Stempney. Nigel Stempney. He had a really fantastic crew. I mean, basically, he took uh, the Benetton team. But it's because the boss understands how to operate it, to make the, uh, the others operate it. John, sincerely, it's an absolute pleasure to have you here. I don't know anyone in the Formula One paddock, or certainly to me, no one's ever said that you're an asshole or you're not nice. I did. A lot of the other drivers... <laughs> I did. A lot of the other drivers yeah. definitely can fall into that. So you're universally liked, as far as I can see, respected in the paddock. It has been an absolute pleasure. So for me, David Colford, the nutter beside me, Eddie Jordan, and our guest, John Alessi, this has been Formula for Success in association with F1 Manager 2023. See you next week. I'm going to let it over to Eddie to do his signature sign-off. Ah!